Wow, what a perfect example we have. You know, as a dad, uh, I, I do the best to be the best example I can be to my boys. And uh, unfortunately, guess what? There's times where I fail. There's times where maybe uh, I get angered too easily or I don't pay attention in this moment or, or whatever. But I can always be assured, regardless, Jesus, our Heavenly Father, God the Father himself, looks upon me every day watching over us, leading us and guiding us in what? Perfection. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. Oh, man, you know what? I'm excited. This is a, we're at our last conclusion message for This Is Us. Um, and so I want you to go ahead and turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians 5. We're going to get into the scripture in just a second. But uh, you can follow along in your bulletin. There's an outline there. Also the version. I don't know if anyone still uses that. I'm, I'm hoping that you do. Uh, last week I was, you know, I was like, you know what, I'm going to check it out before the message, and even though I'm the one speaking it. And so I went over there, and you can follow along on your version app as well when it comes to the message and take notes there as well. But um, yeah, turn to Ephesians 5, and I'm going to read a passage of Scripture this morning that typically goes along with uh, marriages, okay? But we're not going to get into the whole marriage thing necessarily this morning, but um, just, you'll, you'll see what I'm getting to as, as we go along. I'm going to start with a few verses sooner than what I gave Joe, so my apologies to Joe. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 says, wives, and, and listen, you know, I tell you what, I did a, a wedding uh, actually, I do. I've, I've done several. But, you know, it seems like every time I do this part of the wedding and it's a charge uh, to the husband or, and, or, or uh, as a charge to the wife, biblically, and when I say these words, it's like you can hear everybody go, ugh, ugh, all right? Get over your ugh for a minute. All right, here we go. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which is the Savior. Now, as in everything, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. A funny story right there. I did a wedding about a year and a half ago, and I flipped that completely around. I said, for a man will leave his wife and cling to his father and mother. It was a really embarrassing moment. I've got it written down. I'm reading it. I can't believe I even told you that right now. But I was like so embarrassed that it just came to my mind. I had to share it. Here we go. Oh, man. All right. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. And then verse 32 says, this is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. Now, I'm one of them types of kids growing up. I am a third or fourth generation uh, uh, pastor now, I guess. Before it was minister, now it's pastor. All right? And I grew up in church. Seven days a week, I was in church. All right? It, it, in fact, I, it was almost like I got my Sundays confused because it was like every day was Sunday to me. All right? 
Every waking moment, it seemed like something was going on with the church. I was in church. We lived right beside the church, you know, uh, in, in, in different churches that my father had pastored. And, you know, I remember being in church all the time. I remember Wednesday nights. And just a plug-in for our Wednesday night ministry. And, um, you know, we had kids ministry on Wednesday nights. So we do have that now for all of you. You know, bring out your kids. You're going to love it. Uh, but I remember those being like some of the most awesome times in my life on those Wednesday night kids ministry moments. And, and, and I remember, you know, I, here at this church, we don't have basements around here. I've, I've learned. There's not basements because there's water if you dig too far. All right. That would be a problem. But it seemed like all the, the churches that my dad had pastored, when we would go to Sunday school or to children's church or something like that, we would, the kids always went downstairs into the basement. And in my mind, I have this vivid memory of the, the kids' rooms. And they were just like, it was like they were concrete block walls, concrete floors. It was like you were walking into a dungeon, you know. And is anybody ever remember the felt board, right? I say that every, reference that every now and then in my messages. The felt board characters where the Sunday school teacher or, or the, the, the ministry leader at that time was using felt board. And, you know, Jesus every now and then would fall off or, you know, you know he's not, no longer walking on water. You know what I mean? All those crazy moments, right? I remember all of this stuff. I remember what the church was, was like back then. I remember as a kid, you know, before we had children's church and children's church was a big thing. You know, you had Sunday school, then you went to the main church, and I would sit out there with my mom, and we would sit right on the front row every service. And check this out, we didn't have padded seats. No, no, we had them old, like, why did they even make these types of seats? Old wooden pews. They didn't have pad on them either. You know, I've seen some where the padding's not on the back, but the padding's on the bottom, right, where you sit down. No, no. It seemed like it was the most uncomfortable chair in the world. And so I remember as a kid, man, my mom would let me take like two or three Matchbox cars, Hot Wheels cars, right? Yeah. So, anybody remember those days? Does anybody ever, anyone ever do that? Okay, we've got one person, two persons. All right, awesome. All right, but I would sit there and I would play with my Matchbox cars. And I remember one service, I was playing with them. And uh, I guess I really got into them. I had, I, I would take the old Redback Church hymnal. You know what I'm talking about? The things that are non-existent anymore because we have these wonderful things on the walls. But we, I would take them and I would stack them up and I would make ramps and garages and all this stuff. And I remember my dad, when they first come out with like the wireless mic back in the day and it would squeal and he'd come down right down to me, right into the front and he's like, I think that's enough. You know, and my mom was like so embarrassed in that moment. I'll never forget it. Needless to say, there was no more Matchbox cars for me in church. But, you know, I remember those days. I remember, I remember, you know, going to church Sunday morning and then, uh, you know, afterwards we would go to lunch. And that was considered our family time. You know, I remember all the way up until I went to college, we did nothing on Sunday afternoons. We went to dinner or my mom made dinner. Then we went home and that was it. I was not allowed to go outside. You know, some of you are like, oh, I, couldn't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't, you know. That's why I rebel today, okay? No. You know, I couldn't go outside, couldn't go, you know, to the beach or, or, or any of that fun stuff, but would just sit home and, and just kind of like live a hermit life on Sundays. But then I remember we would come back to church that night on Sunday nights. And Sunday nights back in that day were, were in, instead, you know, we had to cancel our Sunday nights because we had like 10 people show up. But I remember that would be like the largest service of the entire 
weekend. It was the, the one that everybody was excited about. The power of God would move, man. It would change people's life. Church is so many things to all of us. We all have so many different memories of what church is about. Some of you are brand new to church. Some of you, you haven't made those memories yet, but you're making them. And some of you are just like me. You can reminisce back when you were a child or, or earlier in, in, in your adulthood of what church was all about and, and all these things. But I remember, you know, what I learned about being in church is that if you're not careful, sometimes, though, we can get caught up in the regimen or the routine of church. You know, maybe we're here today and this whole church thing could be easy to you or, or brand new to you rather. But what I want us to understand is to have a passion about church. Have a passion about this place. Have a passion about serving God. And, and, and because what? This is us. We are passionate people. And if we're not passionate people, by the end of today, my prayer is that we become passionate about our relationship with Jesus Christ. That we become passionate about our God the Father. That we will become passionate about the moving of the Spirit. Now, what does the church mean? The church actually comes from a Greek word in the New Testament. It's called ekklesia, which means a gathering or an assembly of people. Meaning that this, the church is not a place. But rather the church is a group of people is a gathering of believers. This is us. This is who we are in this moment. We are a gathering of believers. We're here worshiping our God. How many of you know that when we praise God and when we bless God, that it changes things? When we come together as the church, and not specifically coming inside the church, but when we are together as a group, when we come together as an assembly, when we praise God, it changes things. It changes an atmosphere. All of us, at least at one time or another, can remember we've walked through these doors, and maybe that's been today, and it was a great worship set this morning. I thoroughly enjoyed it, but there's been times where even as a pastor, I've come through the doors, and, and I remember one Sunday I had a talk with Donnie uh, Hasty before service, and I was like, man, I need you to pray for me because I'm just not feeling it today. I don't know what it is. I've got so many distractions going on. I've got so many things. We've all been there, haven't we? Let's be honest where we've walked through the doors and we said, you know what, I'm just not feeling it today. I'm just not, I've, I've woke up before and uh, going, you know, starting out my day and I've told you all many times what my uh, routine is. I get up, I, I get into the God's word first and foremost and, and there's been times in the morning where I've gotten up and I was just like, you know, I'm wore out. I just don't feel like it today. I mean, I can skip today. Today would be fine. Today I could push it aside. I mean, or, or how about this? I'll get to it later on, right? You know, when I feel, when I'm more awake, after I get a shower, I, I'll get to it later on. And there's been those days in my life where I've gone through them even personally, but I've also made myself get into the Word of God. I, I tell you what, when you make yourself do something that the enemy doesn't want you to do, when Satan is trying to distract you and pull you this way and that way, it's amazing how God will reveal himself even more so into your life. Like, uh, you know, when, when I was talking about, when uh, I was talking to the one of our council members, Donnie Hasty, and I said, I need you to pray for me. He stopped right in that moment and began to pray. Now, I'm not going to say I walked away from that prayer like, woo, because <laughs> I was like, thanks, man. I remember coming in here, coming right back to this front seat, and as worship was going, I was like, you know what? we got to get over this. I don't know. The enemy's trying to distract. The Satan doesn't want me to do something. 
And I don't know who this is speaking to this morning. Maybe this is specifically speaking to you in your life, and I certainly hope it does. Because you need to understand something. When we come into the house of God as a body of believers and we begin to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what type of attitude you may have. It doesn't matter how your week has been. It doesn't matter what outlook you have for your future. When we begin to proclaim who Jesus Christ in our, is, is in our lives, how powerful he is, he will meet you in your place of need. He will lift your spirit up, and you will begin to think new. Yeah. Amen? I remember sitting there and, uh, during that service, and, and, and I just, in fact, Andrea was right beside me, and I remember telling her, going, you're going to have to pray, because <laughs> it's not here. It's not in me today. And as that worship was going, and I made myself get into the presence of God, I forced myself to open my mouth up and proclaim the truth of who Jesus is in my life. It was just like as every word began to come out of my mouth, as every song began to come out of me, as the expression of love began to go up to God, it was like things began to fall off. When we come together as the church, as a body of believers, and we begin to praise God, it's, a, it's miraculous how he meets our need. The psalmist says this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us what? Exalt his holy name. I love that. You know, it's, it's, I remember as a kid in science class, or you, know, you, would, you would get a, uh, every now and then get a, get a magnifying glass. You know, or, or maybe not even a sign. You're just at home and you got this like toy, uh, whatever it is. And, and so I remember going out as a kid, taking that thing and putting it over an ant and then getting the, uh, the sun just right. And what would you do? You'd bake it, wouldn't you? You cook it, right? I know I'm not so old that some of you have not done that. Okay. I mean, that was before tablets and all that good stuff. I get it. But still, you found ways to entertain yourself. But truly, the magnifying glass is what? To look at, what? To bring whatever the subject is you're looking at and to make it become larger. Am I right? That's what the purpose of it is. Well, the psalmist says, oh, magnify the Lord. What does that mean? He's telling us to magnify God. If we would magnify God in our situation and make him larger than what our situation is, God will show through. Watch this. There's a story. I said this story Wednesday to the Bible study group that was here. And I love this story. It says there's a story of a child on her way home from church with her mom when she turned to her mother and said, Mommy, the preacher's sermon this morning confused me. Oh, why is that, she asked. Well, the little girl responded. The preacher said that God is bigger than we are. Is that true? The mother replied, yes, he is. And he also said, speaking of the little girl, that God lives in us. Is that also true, Mommy? Again, her mother answered her and said, yes, well, you know, when a little girl says, well, you know that there's something just awesome about to come, right? I don't have little girls. Well, said the little girl, if God is bigger than us and he lives in us, shouldn't he show through us? Think about that for a moment. If God is bigger than us, but yet he resides inside of us, he should be oozing out of us. He should be overflowing from us. That means in every situation that I get involved in in life, God should be interacting and touching people because of who? Me. Because of who? You. 
You can make a difference in so many people's lives. The psalmist said, oh, magnify the Lord. What does that mean? Make him bigger than what he even is in your life. Make him larger than he even appears in your everyday life. Because listen, there's times where God doesn't appear very large in your life. That moment when I came into the service uh, several months ago and I wasn't feeling it, God was not oozing out outside of me in that moment. He wasn't magnified in that moment. But the moment I began to open my mouth and begin to worship God, it was, I began to magnify him. And when I begin to magnify him, what happens? He begins to ooze. He begins to overflow. He, what? Should be shown through me. So what are you magnifying in your life? The problem or are you magnifying other things than Jesus Christ? What are the things that people see through you? See, this is us. Who is us? We are the church. What is the church supposed to do? Magnify God. And when we magnify God and we magnify Jesus, what happens? He shows through us. What are people seeing through your life? Number one, it's a ministry to God. That's what we're all about, ministering to God. That's why we're here, ministering to God. That's the purpose of the church, one of the threefold purposes, ministering to God. You say, well, that's, we come to church to be ministered to. No, first, first and foremost, we come to minister to him. Well, how do we minister to him? Through our worship, through our reading of his word, through fasting, through showing trust in him. Through allowing faith to be demonstrated from us. That's how we begin to minister to God. The second thing is we minister to the world. Or excuse me, to believers. Well, how do we minister to believers? Through the preaching. The preaching is a proclamation. The preaching is proclaiming who God is and who Jesus Christ is. The Bible tells us about there's power in our preaching. There's power in the tongue. There's power in the words that you say. You could belittle someone and cut them down, or you can lift them up. Which do you choose to do? There's power in the tongue. There's power in your communication. When people see the church, what do they see? Do they see a church full of hypocrites? Or do they see people who are willing to lift up the name of Jesus Christ? What are you speaking? What are the words that are coming from your mouth? Here's what I, I love about God. And all of us can be on this different faith journey. We can have different, God could be sending us in different directions, but watch this. God is so big that he can speak to me intimately and to each and every one of us according to our journey. God is so big, so large, so magnificent. The Bible says that he's omnipresent with us. That means he's all over the place. That God is specifically with me right now as I'm bringing forth the word. And God is specifically with you right now as you're hearing his word. Amen. That God, when, when I leave this place today and I'm with my family and enjoying this day, God is with me, but also God is with you in that moment. That means this, you are number one in God's eyes. He shows favor upon you. So if God is showing favor upon me and I am number one in God's eyes, it is my responsibility to proclaim who he is to this world. It is my responsibility to proclaim that he is what? Jehovah Jireh. It is my responsibility to proclaim that he is Elohim. It is my responsible responsibility 
to proclaim that he is Jehovah Nisi. You see, God, it, it is, he is so large and so vast in so many ways that the, the world doesn't understand. They don't know what God is all about. That's why it's important for us to show them. See, they think Jesus is a higher power or there's other things. Actually, many of them think he's just a lower power or even non-existent. But it is our responsibility to be the example of who God is. And we do that by what we say, what we proclaim. What are you proclaiming in your life? What is the, 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 the main um, object of, of what you're speaking about? What are the things that are coming from your mouth? Are you tearing down or are you building up? Are you backbiting or are you lifting up? Are you encouraging or are you a discourager? What are you proclaiming? Thirdly, the church is to be the ministry of, of, to this world. To be the church, we must be at work. To be the church, we must be that church when we're at work and when we're at school. We must be that church when we're with our family. We must be that church when with our, our, our friendships. We must be that church when, when you're the stranger and no one knows you. We must always be the church. A lot of times people will say, well, you know what? And, and it's like they flip a switch when they come through the house of God. Oh, got to watch my tongue now. You need to watch your tongue all the time. Amen? Oh, I got to clean my thoughts up now. Your thoughts need to be cleaned up all the time. We must understand that we have a ministry to do to this world. We must be the church in all these places. Jesus said this. He says, who said, Jesus said this, upon this rock, I will build my house. Upon this rock, what is the rock? The rock is Christ Jesus. What is the house? The church. Upon this house, upon this rock, I will build my church. And what will not prevail? The gates of hell. So, don't you love the idea that Jesus is giving for us and that we're to be progressive, that we're to be aggressive church, that we're actually to literally have the responsibility of rescuing people from hell. A lot of people don't like to talk about that. They don't even want to hear preachers talk about hell. But hell is very real. And it is eternal existence. And I know I don't want to be there. And I know I don't want any of you to be there. But it is our responsibility to the one you love the most, to the one you love the least, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a church, whatever we avoid, the devil will invade. Think about that for a moment in your life. What are the things that you have to try to avoid the most in your life? What are those things that trip you up? What are those things that cause you to sin? What are those things that cause distraction? What are those things that separate you from reading and praying and fasting? What are those things that keep you from the house of God? If you're trying to evade them, the devil will invade them and bring them into your life. He will try to tempt you with it. Paul uses a metaphor that we are the body of Christ. That every one of us have a function. That as we serve, we become the body of Christ. And speaking of Christ, he'll talk about the idea that we're to be building his church. You and I, we are living stones being laid upon one another to form a home for our God. What does that mean? We all have giftings, we all have talents, we all have abilities. And we all have a function 
within the church. Functions of teachers, preachers, ministers, prophets, evangelists. You got the whole fivefold ministry, but let's go even further. You have greeters. You, you have those <laughs> photography now. We've been, we've been doing that a little bit. You know, we've got uh, people that work the connection desk. Uh, we, we connect central. We have people that are up here playing instruments. We all have a function within the church. And it is our responsibility to take the talents and the giftings that we have and to build these things. So God wants us in our life to become intimate with him. One of the most peculiar metaphors that's used in the Bible is this. We are called the what? Bride of Christ. You and I, we are called the bride of Christ. Now, I'm not going to get all gooey here, but I remember meeting my wife, Andrea, for the first time. She's not here today, but my little guy is sick, so she's taking care of him. But I remember meeting her for the very first time, October the 13th, 2007, at Donald and Mary Lou's uh, Birch's house, all right? They were, they were having, a, I think Nancy Umflett invited me that evening, you know? And, and they invited me to a cookout for the little children of the church. I just had moved to the area, and I remember being there, no intent, trust me, no intent. But I remember being there the whole evening. Andrea wasn't there, and she came at the end to pick up, uh, uh, I wanted to say Carter, but Carter wasn't born yet. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Kyle. She came to pick up Kyle. And, and I remember she looked at me, and, and instantly I knew she knew I was the one for her life. I was wondering if anybody was going to get that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like this. If you were to come up to me and say, Pastor Kevin, I love you. I think you're doing a fabulous job. I love you, but I don't like your wife. That's not going to go over well. Our relationship's going to get a little rocky now. But you know what happens so many times? We're the bride of Christ, aren't we? We will say we love God, but you know what? I'm not liking your bride. I'm not liking the church. The church is full of hypocrites. The church is full of liars. The church is full of thieves. The church is full of people with issues. Yeah, we are. Absolutely. We are a church full of hypocrites. We are a church full of liars. We are a church full of sinful people, but God still loves us and accepts us as his bride. Amen? I've heard people say before, well, church is boring. Well, they've not been to our church. I mean, I know I'm the pastor, so I'm going to say that. But man, from the moment you walk through the door, we're, we've changed a lot of things, and we're trying to make this more interactive and more inviting to, to people. And we're not doing, we're not changing the message. You understand that? We're not changing the message. We might change the concept a little bit, but we do not change the message. And the message is that Jesus Christ saves, that Jesus Christ died for us. I mean, I don't know how, we, my opinion, we got the best music there is on the island, on the shore. We got the best kids ministry. My opinion, we got the best facility. We do need some help with the facility, though. All right. I don't believe that church is boring. 
I believe that we as the body of Christ, we are not boring. We have a whole makeup of a whole kinds of different people. Some people are going to be like really rough around the edge. Some people are going to be smooth around the edge. And everything in between, we've got it all covered. We are the body of Christ. We are his bride. The church is not boring. Paul said, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And I don't do the things that I want to do. Let me repeat that. Paul said these words. Why do I do the things that I don't want to do? And I don't do the things that I want to do. Somebody needs to hear that one more time. Because you've been questioning yourself in your life. You've been questioning this about the things, the decisions that you have made. Listen, Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul, who had, he's tremendous. I mean, God used him in such miraculous ways. He, he got so low, he said this. Why do I do things that I don't want to do, and I don't do things that I want to do? This is what he's saying. I'm a, hip, I'm a hypocrite, but I need a savior. Now, I don't come to the church to be reminded of my weaknesses, but I come to church to be reminded of my strengths. We don't come here to be reminded of our weaknesses, but we come here to be reminded of our strengths. What are our strengths? Watch this. Matthew chapter 5. I just added this this morning. Sorry. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be what? Comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for what? They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? Obtain mercy. There's power in the scripture. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. In everything we will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be what? Called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the what? Kingdom of heaven. I love this. This is like my favorite part right here. You need to underline, you need to find this in your Bible and your U version, whatever. Blessed are you when they revile and they persecute you. And they say all kinds of evil against you for falsely, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad that great is what? Your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. This is who we are. This is us. We are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. But watch this, verse 14. You, everybody say you. Look at your neighbor and say you. You, you are the light of the world. This is us. We are a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are what? In the house. What kind of light are you showing? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And what? Glorify your Father in where? Heaven. This is who? This is us. This is who we are. We are the what? We are the poor in spirit. We are the mourning. We are the meek. We are the ones who are hungry and thirsting. We are the merciful. We are the pure in heart. We are the peacemakers. 
We are those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. We are the salt. We have been persecuted. We have been spoken falsely against. But yet God says, we are the light of the world. We are the city that's on the hill. We are the ones who will make a difference in the world that you live in today. God will be shown through you. As the psalmist said, oh, magnify the Lord in me. My God's not a hypocrite. My God provides me grace so that I can walk in this life. There's a couple benefits that we have that I believe that we obtain for being the bride of Christ. And the first one is the intimacy that God gives us. Paul, in his writing, says, as he's writing, he says this. He says, husbands loves your wives like Christ loved the church. I find this interesting because we never really understand how God is wanting to be intimate with us. We, in fact, we kind of go, well, that's kind of weird. Let's, let's not go there, Pastor Kevin. Paul uses metaphors and when he speaks to us. We understand that God wants to be intimate in our lives. What does that mean? That means God wants to be involved. God wants to be a part of. God just doesn't want to be something spoken of or heard of. But God wants to be part of our everyday life and our every activity. God is trying to find something on this earth to show us the level of intimacy that he wants with us. So he uses that scripture in understanding that husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave his life for it. You know, what God is saying to us is that I'm not interested in the projected you, but I'm interested in the real you. The projected you is like this. How many married couple? How many people in here have been married or are married? Okay. You remember when you were dating? You're, you're learning each other. You're learning, especially when you're like teenagers. I remember back, I wasn't a teenager too long ago, okay? I remember way back then. Some of you, it's gonna be really difficult, I understand. That's a joke. Thank you, thank you. But when you're trying to impress somebody, especially when you're trying to date them, when you're like, if they like blue, hey, I like blue too. Red might be your favorite color, but in that moment, you like blue too. Right? Their favorite food is pizza. I, let's go to Pizza Hut right now. I love it. What kind do you like? Oh, I love that too. What are you doing? You're trying to gain their attention, aren't you? You're also a liar, but you're trying to gain their attention, right? Some of you understand what I'm talking about. You know, you got a, a favorite sport teams, and they might say, I love the Yankees. I'm going to be like, we're done. <laughs> there you go. That's a good one. I can get your attention on that one, all right? What we do is we project ourselves so that people will like us. We will do that to try, and try to gain attention. Now, we can throw that in everyday life, too. You go to a job interview, I will be the most loyal person. I'm full of integrity. I'm full of blah, 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 right? You're projecting yourself. 
trying to make yourself somebody maybe that you're not just so you can gain the attention of someone. God says this, you don't need to project yourself. Don't do that. I want the real you. And the real you, I love even more. Regardless of your faults, regardless of your mistakes, you are my bride. It's kind of like, you know, a new, new married couple. They get married and, and all of a sudden, you know, you get six months down the road and some tension rises because now the person that was projecting themselves to be something that they were not, the true person is what? Becoming revealed, isn't it? And what does it cause? It causes distraction. It causes problems. Understand this. With God, it doesn't do that. With God, God just says this. Be you. Be you with me. I love your faults. I love you in your faults. I love you in your mistakes. I love you in your shortcomings. But that doesn't mean that we get a free pass. Every day, we need to be what? Correcting ourselves. Every day, we need to be what? Allowing ourselves to be into the word of God. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Secondly, uh, protection. He gives us protection. We get protection by being a part of the body. The Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands. Submit to your, some of you are like, off. Remember that guy that was up here and said, uh, husbands, you are the king. I'm, it's still not working in my home yet. Okay, I'm just telling you, it's, it's still, it's failed miserably. I have to talk to him about it and say, what did you do? But anyway, uh, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, understand this. We also read before, what, that, that husbands are to love your wives, what, as Christ loves the church. Well, we have a responsibility here. We are the bride of Christ. Who are we to submit to? God. We are to submit to him. He gave his life up for us. You know, husbands, you are to be the protector of your family. The word tells us that. We're to be the protectors of our family. God is a protector. What did God do? He gave up his life for us. Jesus gave up his life for us. So we as the bride are to submit. So we as husbands, what are we supposed to have the attitude of? All the women are going to love this part. We're to be willing to give our life up for what? Our wife. Think about that. That's love. That's what Jesus did for us. He took up his life to protect us. To protect us spiritually. To protect us physically. To keep us from eternal hell. Jesus Christ protected us. Thirdly, we have rights. We understand that we're, we have an intimacy with God, we have protection with God, but now we have rights. I love Paul says this, at an appointed time, a man will leave his mother and father and will be united to a woman and they will become what? One flesh. He said this is a profound mystery, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. We are to become one with God. He is to reside in us. And he is to be what? Magnified as the psalmist said. And when he is magnified, what's going to happen? He's going to show through us. That is when we are one with him. Paul said in Romans 8, he said, if you and I, if we're willing to share in Christ's suffering, we will also share in what? His glory. 
Because of Jesus, when we put our trust and faith in him, all of a sudden, we obtain the exact same rights. You have the same rights as Jesus Christ. You have them. You have the same power. You have the same love. You have the same attitude. You have the same demeanor. It's there. The problem is, is we're not magnifying him. The problem is, is we're not coming into his house and even when we don't feel like it, speaking those words. The problem is, is when we're sitting at home and we're getting distracted from getting away from his word and getting away from prayer and getting away from fasting and getting away from worship and getting away from uh, uh, small groups, life groups, and we're getting away from being involved in the ministry of the church. We're getting away from all of these things so then we're not allowing God to be magnified in us. And we think we can accomplish everything on our own merit. But the reality is you can do nothing on your own. You must have Christ. This is us. This is who we are as a church. I want you to stand with me this morning. I want to challenge us this morning. I want us to understand that we need to rise up in our relationship. We need to rise up in our responsibility. I believe that every, for every one of us in this room this morning that the best is still yet to come in your life. I believe that you know, we're not going to lose as the church, but we are going to gain. I believe that we must declare in our spirits that we're going to be the church, the New Testament church of which God had created. We must have an intimacy with him. We must understand that he is protecting us. And we must understand that we have the same rights as Jesus Christ. See, today we're celebrating Father's Day which is awesome. But every day of our life needs to be Father's Day to God. Not just Sundays. Not just when it's convenient to make it to church. Not just when the doors open and it's just that moment. Every single day of your life needs to become our Father's Day when it comes to our Heavenly Father. Every day we need to show our appreciation. Lord, thank you. Lord, we love you. Thank you for, for giving your son Jesus Christ to die on that cross for my sins. Thank you for reaching and pulling me out of, of that darkened life that I was living. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for, for my family, Lord. Thank you for all these things that God has just given each one of us, Lord. Every day of our lives needs to be a Father's Day when it comes to our Heavenly Father. So as we conclude this series called This Is Us, this is who we are. This is what we're going to be. We're going to be what? Generous givers. We're going to be what? Giving our first fruits. We're going to be what? Servants. And what are we going to be? We're going to be the church. This is us. God loves us. We are the body. We are his bride. So yeah, you know what? The church is full of imperfect people. And guess what? The church will always be full of imperfect people. That will not change. Until he comes for what? His church. I want every one of us to be a part of that coming. I want every one of us to have that opportunity that when that trumpet sounds, we will go and be with the Lord for eternity. Or if death should come to find you first, that you may close your eyes here, but you would open your eyes in the presence of your heavenly Father, your Savior. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
this is what I want to do this morning. If you want to say, Pastor Kevin, you know what? I need to be a better member of the church. And I'm not talking about a member. I'm talking about being part of the body of Christ. I need to be a better person when it comes to the church. Being that bride. Being a part of the body. Understanding that I have abilities, talents, giftings that I must use for him. Real quick, I want you to slip your hand up. And you say, Pastor Kevin, that's me. I see hands going up everywhere. Awesome. Awesome. You can put them down. Now, my next question here is this. Maybe this morning you don't know who this Jesus Christ is. Or maybe it's been so long since you've had a, a deep discussion with him or, or had felt that relationship. Maybe it's been dwindling and, and maybe you've lost it. And you could say this morning, you know what, Pastor Kevin, I want to either commit or recommit my life to Jesus Christ today and understanding that I need to be a better member of the church. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand real quick. I see that hand and that one. I see all those hands. I see these hands. Awesome. Fantastic. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want us to say this prayer together. Repeat it after me. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. But Lord, today, I celebrate you as my father. And I thank you for giving Jesus Christ for my sins. So today, Lord, I commit my life to you. Today, Lord, I become a new vessel. Today, God, I become a new person. Leaving the old man behind and taking up the new and serving you. Amen. Father, I thank you for every person here this morning. God, you saw those uplifted hands of those, Lord, who wanted to commit, but also, God, of those who said, I need to be a better member of this church, of your church. I need to be a better bride. I need to be a better part of the body. So, God, this morning, I pray for those individuals. Encourage them. Give them the abilities. Give them the structure. Give them the word of God. Surround them with believers like-minded, Lord. So that, God, they will carry the cross every single day and follow you. And be that example to everyone they come in contact with. So, God, with this said, we love you. And we praise your holy name. Lord, as we leave this place this morning, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And, Father, we pray for our giftings, our offerings, our tithings. May they be given to you to continue to grow your kingdom, to grow your church, to grow your bride. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says amen, amen and amen. We love you. Happy Father's Day.